This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Game Generation. Unlock the power of play, learn and connect at www.gamegeneration.org. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Video games have become a catalyst for nonprofit fundraising, a refuge for disabled communities, platforms for protests, and forums for global conflict resolution. They connect the world of politics, technology, entertainment, and sports in profound and unique ways. And competitive gaming has become a billion dollar industry. Leagues and professional esports teams across the world draw millions of fans and big sponsor dollars. On February 6th, The Washington Post sat down with video game experts, creators, and players to explore this rapidly evolving world. With millions of fans across the globe, esports leagues are no longer fringe organizations. They're comprised of professional teams owned by families like the Crafts, supported by sponsors like Coca-Cola and Xfinity, and have enough fans to fill arenas. Over the past decade, competitive gaming has grown exponentially, but will that trajectory continue? In this segment, we'll look at the challenges that leagues, teams, and players will face in the coming years. Let's listen. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Mike Hume. I'm the editor of Launcher, the Washington Post's home for uh, dedicated coverage of video gaming and esports. Uh, we are here to, dis uh, to discuss the rise of esports. Uh, before we begin, I just want to see a quick show of hands. How many people here are familiar with esports and what it entails? All right, so pretty good. We'll try and uh, educate the rest of you here with our esteemed panel. Uh, next to me, I would like to introduce Chris Greeley. He's the commissioner of the League Championship Series, uh, the North American Pro Esports Circuit of League of Legends from Riot Games. Next, we have Grant Pranjape, the VP of Business with the Washington Justice, DC's Overwatch League team. And finally, we have Zach Leonsis, the Senior VP and General Manager of Mon Monumental Sports and Entertainment. You probably know him from the Washington Capitals, Washington Wizards, Washington Mystics, several other ventures there. Uh, he is also the breaker of chains and on the board of directors for Team I love Liquid. That title. <laughs> I'm going to tell my dad about that. That's a good one. Before we begin, uh, remember you can submit questions to the panel using the hashtag PostLive on Twitter. But uh, let's get started, shall we? So, following this past season, Chris, uh, I got an email from Riot Games that claimed that the LCS was the third most popular major professional sports league in the US among 18 to 34 year olds. That's right. Okay, so that's according to the data from Nielsen and presumably includes leagues like National Hockey League, Major League Baseball. It does. Okay, my dad's head just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> How uh, can you explain this? I mean, obviously we, we know about the growth of eSports, but this is quite a claim. Yeah, we're a, um, we're a digital first sport for a digital first audience. That's the, that's the catchphrase. Uh, we have the, <clears throat> pardon me, the audience has grown organically since 2011 when League of Legends hosted its first world championship uh, and has continued to grow every year since. We saw such dramatic growth between 2011 and 2012 that in 2013 we started a uh, domestic league in North America and in Europe that created a league structure that you would see in conventional sports. Uh, and since then, we have continued to grow every year. Uh, viewership is uh, up year over year uh, with you know the, the normal variance that you expect to see. But when we go out to St. Louis or to Detroit or to Frisco, Texas, where our spring finals are this year, you know our fans show up early. They're loud, they're passionate, and you wouldn't know 
<coughs> if you didn't realize you were at an esports event, you wouldn't know it by looking at the fans. Right. And Zach, you obviously walk in both of these worlds. How do you compare the interest and the rising interest in esports to the interest levels of traditional sports? Well, you know, 2019 was a really interesting year. Gaming as a category surpassed music, at-home entertainment, and box office in terms of just size and scope. So clearly, it was something that, that was growing for quite some time. We first invested into esports uh, nearly five years ago when we found Team Liquid, and we realized the writing was on the wall. We are very invested in our cable world, our, our, our traditional media world with the Capitals and the Wizards, and we see the trends with cord cutting and cord shaving, and we thought this is really the first ever live event category that's digital first and linear second. And there, you know, like you just mentioned, there are a lot of eyeballs on it mm -hmm. too. The monthly active users are dramatic. The monthly active viewers are even bigger for games like League of Legends. And so we really needed to be students and understand what was happening here. And as we went through our journey, We've learned a lot. We've learned that authenticity really matters, and I think that one of the most spectacular things about esports is that it's truly organic. It's communal. Um, I sometimes compare platforms like, you know, Epic Games is Fortnite more like a social platform. Kids coming home from school and putting on their headsets, and that's how they're socializing these days. So um, we've learned a lot, and we continue to learn more. We've seen a tremendous amount of growth with Team Liquid. We do think there are learnings that the esports world can take from traditional sports. Um, potential, you know, in the future, as localization happens, and Grant can tell you a lot about that with the mm -hmm. Overwatch League. Um, we're doing a lot with the NBA 2K League with our Team Wizard District Gaming, and we're also launching an esports uh, endeavor on the CAP side called CAPS Gaming too. So um, we believe, and um, you know, we, we, we're happy to be a part of it. Uh, Grant, as Zach alluded to, Overwatch League is taking a very ambitious step this season. Yeah. Uh, localized weekly events in regional markets. Obviously, that includes the Washington Justice. So how's yeah. your sleep been trying to organize that? Uh, yeah, uh, th there has not been much sleep in the Justice <laughs> office uh, really since the offseason started. Yeah, so I think we, we term Overwatch as the, the first city-based global franchise esports league. So uh, you have the city-based teams. You have Washington Justice, Philadelphia Fusion, NYXL uh, with New York. And I think uh, the Overwatch League had an incredible first two seasons out in LA. You know, we. Uh, treated our players like all-star athletes, very similar to the, the Wizards and, and Caps. And uh, there was always a little bit of a, a, you know, a funny feeling, I think, in that you had a team that had a city tie-in, and they were never home. And so for the 2020 season, we're really excited to bring, uh, bring all of the teams home. And uh, you know, for us, that means hosting five home stands here in DC, uh, the first three of which will be at the Anthem down at the Wharf, uh, and the following two at uh, Events DC's uh, new arena, actually the Wizards uh, practice court and the home court for the Mystics and GoGo -Go as well uh, over at ESA. So uh, I think we're, we're really excited about it. I think it, it unlocks a lot, of, a lot of doors that were previously closed to esports. You know, you have uh, a really passionate local fan base that they can attend and, and see their home team in person. And then you have local sponsors, you know, the, the Lidos Giants, you know, Geico's of the world who are, who are right here in the DMV able to activate not only digitally, but also in person uh, with, with assets that they're familiar with. And how has that local partnership aspect been going for in your experience? Yeah, I mean, Events CC has been a huge supporter of, uh, of the team uh, since before the team was actually founded, which was, was remarkable. Um, and obviously, you know, being able to take two events to, to one of their venues was, was really important to us. Um, I think 
you know, we've had a lot of good conversations with partners and uh, a few announcements to come in the not so distant future. So, um, but yeah, I, I think for, for brands, you know, wanting to activate in esports, there's, there's obviously a huge educational piece to it and, and Zach and, and the MSC partnership team can, can certainly speak to that. Um, but once you have time to kind of explain, you know, this is a highly captive 18 to 34 year old audience um, and you also get assets that are local and that you're familiar with, uh, we've, we've had partners who are, who are really excited about, about coming on board. Uh, Zach, in our reporting with Launcher, it seems that sponsorships are certainly one of the biggest revenue drivers for esports leagues and for teams. How does that compare to traditional sports in terms of demand? Are there companies out there that are craving esports more than traditional sports these days, or what's that dynamic like? Well, I think uh, you know a criticism of esports is that there, there's been a lot of hype and have the revenues match that. And I think that very quickly the revenues are. Uh, Team Liquid has grown revenues dramatically from some, when we first invested. And it's not just prize money; it is sponsorships, it's uh, dollars from streaming. They have a landmark agreement um, that's in the tens of millions of dollars uh, with Twitch. Um, and you know we see interest on the uh, you know in the sort of the professional sports crossover esport leagues too. People are very interested. We just announced earlier today a partnership um, actually with the UAE. There is international appeal in terms of using esports as a platform for inclusivity um, and you know fostering global connections too. So I think it really just depends on the brand and uh, you know what their objectives are. A lot of engineering firms really finding esports to be a hotbed for recruitment and the like because as Grant mentioned, it is a really wonderful um, younger, very attractive audience. These are engineering savvy, highly quantitative, very smart um, people. When, when I, I hired Grant three <laughs> years ago, and one of the things that sold me on Grant was Grant said, well, I built my own computer. And I said, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So <laughs> you really are, are true endemic, and, and that's something that I find very admirable. Yeah, I, I think it's remarkable. You know, you, you think of, uh, Hopefully there's not too many millions of me out there, exactly, but there, there's probably a few. Um, I, I like to use myself as like kind of the, the worst example uh, of for, for, you know, for a sports owner. I'm 26, uh, I, I've never owned a cable package. I went, you know, I was a neuroscience major and got my MBA after, but um, I, I'm not a fan of hockey or, or basketball or the NFL really, you know, uh, other than the halftime show for the, the Super Bowl. So for me, like <laughs> the, my Super Bowl was, was always the LCS finals, right, and, and watching, uh, you know, Faker, you know, destroy everyone for FKT. So for me, and, and I think you know, there are there are a significant portion of, of the audience, you know, the population that are, that are like me. Esports is kind of our our sports of the future. That's right. He's our case study. <laughs> there he is. Uh, now, Chris, obviously, Riot Games announced a very significant partnership uh, late in 2019 ahead of the World Championships in Paris. Louis Vuitton partnered with Riot Games. What does that say about where esports is in our cultural awareness scale? I, I think it speaks volumes. Uh, the partnership with LV covered a lot of different things. So uh, they created a trophy case uh, for our Summoner's Cup, which is the uh, trophy we give away at our World Championship, or that's, I guess, won at our World Championship. We're not really giving it away. <laughs> uh, it opened up, so it has digital panels on it. It opened up during our opening ceremony. Uh, they worked with us to create uh, digital assets in the game. So we have characters who are wearing Louis Vuitton skins inside of the game. Um, it, it's been, it, it was, it's a far reaching partnership. I think it, it shows that uh, fashion is taking notice, especially high fashion. 
usually what you see in esports is, is streetwear and street fashion and sneaker heads and, and we hit that demographic really hard. But for LV to step in, especially in a year when our world championships were in Paris, uh, I think really shows how far, far along that esports has come. Right, and uh, just to transition a little bit to the, another big topic, broadcast rights. Uh, recently, the Activision Blizzard uh, group cut a deal with YouTube, uh, undisclosed terms, which we're working on. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, working uh, on those terms. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're getting to the bottom of this yet, but uh, <laughs> it is definitely a very lucrative source of revenue for traditional sports leagues. To date, we haven't really seen that for esports proportionally. What can sports esports leagues and teams do to really raise that revenue up closer to on par with professional traditional sports leagues? I mean, I, I think the, the biggest driver for it is that um, there are still uh, platforms, especially linear platforms, uh, that look at advertising rates as just being much higher on linear. Um, I don't think that the audience that we're hitting on digital, I mean, Grant called them a, a highly captive audience, which is, a, you know, I think the only piece I'd add to that is they're also highly engaged. Right. Uh, so I, I don't think that advertisers and platforms are properly valuing uh, how important those eyeballs are and uh, how our fans internalize the advertising messages that are being provided to them. When we announced our MasterCard sponsorship, we had fans who were on Reddit and Twitter talking about how they were going out to get a MasterCard because they want to support the sponsors that are supporting the thing that they love. So I, I think that that's going to be a, a big piece and I think that one day there's going to be that's, that watershed and the dam's going to break and we're going to see advertising rates um, start to rise. And I, I think deals are going to help raise it as well. So uh, Riot announced a deal with uh, ML BAM back in, well, I guess it was BAM Tech at that right. point, uh, back in 2016. And although that uh, deal eventually morphed into something that wasn't exactly what it, it began as, um, between that and the deals that have been announced by Activision Blizzard, uh, I think that there is a good base on which to continue to build out broadcast rights. And Grant, obviously with the news of the <coughs> move from Twitch to YouTube, a bit of a, a seismic shift in that Twitch was sort of regarded as the flagship platform for esports live broadcasts. From a team perspective, are you guys happy with this move? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're really excited about it. You know, YouTube has, uh, you know, obviously they just kicked off things with the Call of Duty League, uh, you know, a, a few weeks ago, and um, th they've been a tremendous partner. You look at, you know, Google, and, and I think YouTube disclosed, uh, you know, its ad revenue for the first time, and it was 15.3 billion, I believe. Um, so when you look at, you know, how do you, um, you know, take live esports beyond just uh, the audience that's already consuming it, and I mean, Twitch is obviously an incredible platform as well, but you look at, um, you know, the other types of content, and you have on YouTube audiences consuming how-to videos on how to play Overwatch, how-to videos on how to cook a steak, right? You have so many <laughs> ways to, to kind of reach a, a whole new audience that wasn't already just consuming esports content. And I think for us, that's a really big piece of, you know, the localization angle as well, right? We want folks here in the DMV to realize you know, the Justice are your hometown team, right? I, again, I'm not the sports guy, but I, I know people have very passionate feelings about the hometown team where they were born. Uh, and I think, you know, when you have localization, you have a media partner that can reach beyond just the captive esports audience, that's when you can kind of truly get to the scale that Chris was talking about, where you do have ad, uh, you know, media companies, you know, properly valuing, uh, you know, the eyeballs that they're getting. And we're seeing big deals in other markets too. Our 
Chinese League, which uh, the LPL, which has a, a home and away system inside of China, uh, announced large deals selling uh, their broadcast and our world's broadcast inside of China exclusively as well. So mm. I think we're going to continue to see those tides continue to rise. Well, we have a very good Twitter question about the uh, growth of esports at some lower levels. Uh, Colton wants to know, what are your thoughts on the role of esports in high schools, both as a tool for furthering STEM education and for teaching social skills? Uh, I, I think it's uh, a huge opportunity. Um, varsity sports are not for everyone. You can be honest about that. And creating an environment where you have a team with a shared goal, I mean, there are tons of studies out there that show the benefits of that. And so for you know, that audience, I think it's an absolutely critical part of development. And I highly encourage high schools to start to adopt that. We hosted a couple dozen DC principals um, just a couple of months ago to, to try to encourage that because you know there, there is still a little bit of a stigma. They think that video gaming is bad, that it, it's a waste of time, that you're not studying and doing your homework. It doesn't mean that video gaming is bad. Video gaming mm. can be an incredibly inclusive platform and um, I think we just need to illuminate that and, and raise awareness of, of, of the good that esports can really bring. And at its heart, it's competition, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, esports aren't only for the kids who can't play varsity sports. I played varsity baseball and lacrosse. I still went home every night and played video games with my friends. <laughs> so um, I, I think you'll start to see that a lot more too, that it's an additional outlet. It doesn't necessarily have to be a substitute outlet. Um, we have a partner called PlayVS uh, that runs high school League of Legends uh, tournaments in several different states. They have a state champion. It's formatted the, the same way you would see varsity baseball, um, where you play through in playoffs and, and have a champion. And uh, I know that there are programs like that for other games as well. And I think as that continues to expand, it's going to be a kind of great anchor for parents to be able to look at and see the benefits that video games are bringing outside of just the, my kid never goes outside to play because they want to sit and play video games with their friends online all the time. I have one question I'm hoping to get uh, the perspective of each of you on, and that is uh, over the last 10 years, we've obviously seen exponential growth in esports. There are some that would point to that as a bubble, that this is the function of a lot of surplus investment capital flowing into esports franchises. What's the most important thing for esports collectively as an industry to do to succeed and take it to the next level to say, hey, this clearly isn't a bubble, this is legit, it's a thing? Who wants to uh, well, I, I don't think it's a bubble. Um, I see the revenue certainly at Team Liquid and the valuation that that team is driving from, you know, getting third-party dollars. It's pretty amazing. The revenues have tracked behind it, which is fabulous to see. We have worked to um, foster Team Liquid's endemic brand and foster the community that they have. We want to trust them and amplify what they're doing and then nudge when they ask for it and nudge toward professionalization. One of the, the great things that I think we did was we encouraged them to move out of their gamer house and into a real practice facility. We have a, a spectacular uh, facility in Los Angeles, the Alienware training facility. We're gonna open a new one in the not too distant future in Europe. And um, you know, at that facility, we've got in-house chef, we've got sports psychologists. We, I, we're, we're treating our players just like we would Alex Ovechkin or John Wall. Um, so it's very, very important, and I, I think uh, you, you start to uh, raise the expectation level with players in terms of, you know, really treating their platform with respect. There's a, there, there's a big followership. People look up to these players, 
um, and they need to rise to the task to you know, remember that that's really the case when they're talking on social and talking online, it really matters. Yeah, I think uh, for, for me it's always about um, you know, collectively working together to build the esports industry. I mean, I'm on a panel with the commissioner of LCS, right? I think uh, <laughs> I'm on a panel with Zach from TL and, and NBA2K League, right? I think uh, esports, you know, we, we tend to forget like why we, we got into it, right? Like we got into this because we all collectively love video games and we wanted to make, you know, our passion into more than, than just a hobby. And um, too often it's this league's doing this, this league's doing that. Like, why isn't this better? Why isn't this this way? And, and I think like as, leagues and, and teams start collectively working together and, and saying like, no, like we all work in the esports industry, like how do we make this professionalized and something that everyone wants to be a part of? Um, that's how we kind of ensure that it's not just, not just a bubble or, or something that, that people want to have a flash in the pan for. I think you can, when you look at outside perceptions looking in, it started in 2012 and 2013 with people saying, why would you want to watch somebody else play video games? Uh, and then, you know, we sold out the Staples Center and the Galen Center and Madison Square Garden, and people were like, oh, all right, well, sure, but it's not a sport. Uh, and then we continue to bring in sponsors like State Farm and MasterCard and uh, Bud Light and Honda, and they're like, well, okay, sure, but now, you know, you're, you're only on a digital platform and you're, you're not mainstream enough. I, I think that esports is in a growth phase, and even though, you know, we joke all the time that three months in esports is like three years in the in the real world. Um, it is still it's very much it's a nascent industry, and there's going to be a lot of growth over time. The people who started in in esports, some of them are going to continue on, and some of them are going to move out as more seasoned professionals come in. I'm sure in two or three years, my owners are going to walk around and say like, "Hey, it's been great, Chris, but you know <coughs> now we need someone who can." Th thanks for getting us to a hundred million dollars <laughs> in revenue. We need. The man or woman who's going to get us to $500 million in revenue, please never say that. I would never uh, say that. <laughs> but there, it's all growth, and it's all, you know, we try a lot of things. We try to fail fast and iterate the way startups do in, in Silicon Valley, and I think that you're going to see over time that attitudes are going to shift the longer that esports can, can stay around, can become sustainable, can stay in the mainstream. Um, I think games will come and go, but ultimately as long as the kind of core tenant of competitive gaming continues on and continues to grow, you're going to see people kind of shedding off some of those opinions, especially the idea that we're sitting in a bubble. And uh, this will probably be our final question, but I did want to ask it because this is something that's come up quite a bit since we've started at Launcher and a number of people have asked us to pursue uh, as we've expanded our coverage, and that's diversity. We see a medium in esports where physical attributes shouldn't matter, and yet we do not see a lot of female esports athletes. What can leagues and teams do to foster diversity, particularly from females, in their leagues, on their teams? How do we increase those numbers of esports competitors? I, I think uh, I'll speak <coughs> for the LCS. Um, we, we look at the environment um, around the game uh, and making it more inviting. So. Like League of Legends is not a game that you have to be male to be good at. Um, there are lots of women who are in uh, our, we call them high elo, they sit at the top of our competitive ladder and they can compete with the pros who are on stage. Um, but in our discussions with them, in the, in the surveys we've taken, in the conversations we've had, I, I think the thing that comes up over and over um, in those interviews is that they want to feel like they can sit on that stage and be accepted by the other pro players that are on stage and by the fans. 
We've seen, um, especially in, in some other games, as females have tried to go pro, um, terrible backlash against them. So for us, uh, a lot of that education starts with our existing pro players uh, and working with them to make sure that we can create an environment where that abuse doesn't happen at the pro level. Uh, and, and when they see it from fans, our existing pros, the, the men can stand up and say, like, this isn't, this isn't okay, this isn't who we are. Um, and that's a process and you have to, once, the, once you start to get those, that education in place and, and you're confident that your pro players are in, in the right area, you need someone who's willing to take the risk and step out first and, you know, I hate to keep beating the dead horse that it's a process, but I, I think it's ongoing. Yeah, I, th I think from uh, from a team perspective, right, it's about giving uh, it's about giving females and, and everyone equal opportunity, right? So at the Justice, we had uh, last year the first female uh, assistant coach in Avala. Um, this year, we we actually continued and, and had a uh, you know our, our full our full GM is, is Anna Lynn is, is also a female. So it, for us, it's not about you know specifically looking to hire you know females or, or whatnot. It's about you know if you're the best person for the job and. And there's, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't have a, a female general manager or a female coach in, in Overwatch or, or any sport. Um, so I, I think for, kind of like Chris mentioned, it, it's about having teams and people in, in the positions, you know, making those decisions who are willing to, to have an open mind and, and you know, truly just have, uh, you know, the ability to give everyone the equal opportunity to, to be in, in esports. I think it has been a problem, but I think that esports in general is directionally certainly heading in the right direction. I think there have been a lot of advancement in the past five years. I think the NBA 2K League has actually done a very commendable job. The NBA 2K League is actually the only truly co-ed NBA platform league. We, we had a, a female player in the league last year, and the league rolled out a female gamer development platform. Um, where they were inviting streamers in to try to help them become a pro. What does it take to become a pro? And I, I think all of our expectations that we will have more women in our league this upcoming season. We're developing our own female gamer platform at Monumental. I know Team Liquid is as well. Team Liquid has also been a tremendous leader when it comes to the uh, supporting the LGBTQ community too. So um, just like you were starting off, your score is your score. It's a great equalizer, and um, I think it gets back to elevating the conversation, informing our players and the influencers of the matter that they need to be the change, that it needs to be an active change. It can't be a passive experience. Well, that's all the time we have for our panel, but the event will continue. Uh, please stick around. I would love to meet with all of you, as with the team of Launcher. Uh, we also have some uh, games that you can play out in the reception area. So, uh, you know, dust off the joysticks and loosen up the thumbs. Uh, <laughs> you got some good stuff out there for you. Uh, remember, you can find a replay of tonight's event on thewashingtonpostlive.com. And in the meantime, I hope everyone has a very pleasant evening. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.